if you can think differently, you can change the world. If you have a small idea or if you have a big idea, then you can change the world in a very big way. I'm always looking and always reading and finding what can I learn from this initiative over here that I can bring to my effort? And what can I learn from that other person's example or their words of inspiration that I can bring to what I'm doing? And anybody can do that. You know, skills and abilities, they take work. They take practice, right? You can be born with talent and you can waste it, or you can be born with talent and you can practice it, you can hone it such that you can change the world. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together. And it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Our guest today, Greg Apodaca is the CEO of Community 2.0, an organization that is mobilizing individuals and organizations in the greater Pasadena community and larger LA County area to take action to help overcome climate emergency challenges. Greg considers himself an explorer and vision holder and approaches leadership from a value-driven perspective, focusing on how we can come together to solve what might be our most pressing issue, climate change with the overall goal being to create a culture that includes living in balance with nature and each other. Here's our host, Salvatrice Kumo, and her conversation with Greg Apodaca. Welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I am your host, Salvatrice Kumo, and with me today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Greg Apodaca, CEO of Community 2.0. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Salvatrice. How are you? Good. How's your fine Thursday morning treating you? Things are going really well right now. Our event is just about five weeks away. Uh, Things are shaping up. I think we're up to about 13 organizational partners now and... uh, I have calls out to speakers and sponsors and things are looking great. I'm excited about it. Well, we're definitely going to dive deep on that event. It's really exciting and it's something that's needed. I don't even know how to underscore the word or amplify the word needed in our community and building awareness around that work. And so let's just jump right in. Greg, for those listeners who don't know you very well, tell us about your background and your journey as a community leader, and what led you to this point? That could be a long story. I'll keep it to about three minutes here. I was already about uh, 40 years old before I found my passion in life. And just luckily, I had come to Pasadena for a job. I was selling outside uh, sales travel accounts to corporations. A guy that owned the travel agency that I worked for happened to also be involved in the Chamber of Commerce. I think he was president. 
and said, Hey, Greg, you know, you need to join the chamber to make uh, business contacts. So I did that. And that was a long time ago. So everybody, there was a bunch of gray hairs like, like I am now. And I thought, uh, you know, where do the young people hang out in this town? And uh, somebody told me to join the Junior Chamber of Commerce in Pasadena. And uh, this is an organization that teaches leadership skills through volunteerism. And uh, I just jumped in and I just loved it. You know, I started uh, volunteering all over the place with these guys. And uh, this is the nonprofit sector that I'd never heard about. But I love that they want to help people. And I just thought this is where I need to be. And I transferred from the for-profit sales into the nonprofit sector. And that's really what started it. And in the Chamber of Commerce, I was active and learned how to work networks and collaborations and things like that. And that's really what started it. The motto of the Junior Chamber of Commerce is that service to humanity is the best work of life. And I really believe that. And to this day, I live by that saying. So that's what got me started as a community volunteer and as leader. Excellent. And then is that where the birth of Community 2.0 came about? Well, there was a step in between. When I aged out, you know, the Junior Chamber of Commerce has an age limit. And uh, when I aged out of there after being president and chairman of the board, I said, you know, there should be an organization for adults like this that teaches leadership development through volunteer service projects. And I just started asking everybody I knew in town. I think I did about 23 informational interviews and told people what I wanted to do and asked them for advice. And this one lady said, you know, Greg, what you just described is leadership Pasadena. And I said, well, what's that? And she had been part of starting Leadership California. And I did research across the country to find there's about 450 leadership programs like Lead San Diego and Leadership Louisville and like that. And so I said, wow, you know, this makes sense here. I need to start Leadership Pasadena. So I got some of my friends together and said, this is this is my idea. One of those guys was the mayor at the time and the city manager in Pasadena at the time. And I said, this is what we want to do. They thought it was a great idea. And so the next eight years, I just kind of dove in, did research, started the organization, found some cash, quit my job and said, let's do this. And, uh, and Leadership Pasadena has been training leaders in our community for 20 years. Fantastic. Would you agree that there's like this ongoing argument? Are you born with leadership skills or are you taught leadership skills? And so I'd be kind of curious to hear what your perspective is on that with your, with your experiences in these organizations and being embedded in the community as you are. What are the key effective traits of those leaders? And can it be taught or is it something we're just born with? You know, I'm a leadership junkie. I Almost all the books I read are about leadership and transformation and now ecology as well in the environmental sector. I mean, I could quote all kinds of theory here, but I'm going to make this really simple. You probably have heard about a company that started selling shoes online called Zappos. And I was um, listening to a Success Magazine podcast one time. And they were interviewing this guy who was the culture guy at Zappos. He was in charge of making sure that the culture was good and all that. And he'd just written a book and he said, it only takes two things to be a leader. Number one, you need to care about something deeply. And number two, you need to be willing to do whatever it takes to manifest that your vision for a better future in that area. If I had answered that question and the one that you just posed right now, I would probably, you know, talk for an hour about theories and like that. But here's what really matters. If you're passionate about something and you're willing to do what it takes, people will get that you're authentic. And when you're authentic, people want to follow you. And if people are following you, then that means you're a leader. So that's the simple answer. Anybody can be a leader and just find out what you're passionate about and and then make it happen. It reminds me of a past conversation I had with one of our interviewees, Dr. Raquel Torres-Ratana, when her motto is to live my authentic self to my full potential in harmony with the universe. It kind of reminds me a little bit about what you just said. It's like, so long as we're authentic in our work and we show the drive and the passion around that authenticity, then 
you know, the stars align. I'm just gonna, that's the only way I know how to really articulate it is the stars do align and it starts to make sense. And you start to lead a coalition of people who feel the same way and who see what you see. It takes a lot of strength and character. Has there been anyone in your sphere of network that you had said to yourself, like, wow, now that is exactly the embodiment of, of a leader? The first person that comes to mind is a futurist by the name of uh, Peter Diamandis. A few years back, I think 2011 and 2012, I ran two events called TEDx Pasadena. And this is related to the big TED Talks. Everybody watches TED Talks online, right? And uh, I ran two of those events here in Pasadena. And there's people running around the world. I think there's about 50,000 a year of TEDx events. And the second year, I was in Palm Springs with 600 other TEDx coordinators from around the world. And this guy, Diamandis, came on stage and just rocked my world. His talk was called Abundance. I would encourage everybody to go on TED.com and look up Abundance, the talk by Peter Diamandis. He just talked about how most of us think about life from a kind of a scarcity perspective. And he said that what really is true is that life is abundant, right? You go out into nature and there's, you know, miles and miles of trees and the ocean is, you know, thousands of miles wide. And there's, you know, all these food and resources and sunlight, everything that we need to live and live in a thriving life is available on the planet. But we see scarcity and we kind of play in a win-lose mindset, kind of a zero-sum game. And he said, no, that's wrong. You need to think abundantly and live in this new direction. And that, that changed my life. I would recommend him to anybody out there who's looking for inspiration and looking for a new way to think about life, that Diamandis is your guy. One of the mottos that I live by is that every day I seek inspiration. You know, in the morning, I read books that are inspirational. And then I also seek to inspire people because you can just see people change their posture when they're inspired, somehow you touch their heart and they just kind of light up and say, yeah, I can do that. You know, let me go do that. It makes the world of difference as to how you live your day, your, your year and your life. So um, Peter Diamandis is the main guy I would recommend. Is there any other advice that you would give? I mean, not only those of us who are already in our professions that are already in a leadership role, but perhaps maybe for the up and coming leaders in our community, our active students right? Our students take an active leadership roles here on campus where they may not have the extensive professional background, but have full intentions of developing their leadership skills. What advice would you give them? I always give people the advice of volunteering, you know, because that's the path that I went down and I found to be effective. You know, when you join an organization like uh, the Junior Chamber or the Chamber of Commerce or, you know, pick any one of you know hundreds of nonprofit organizations here in Pasadena, you'll be given opportunities there to lead projects, to manage projects, to supervise people that you probably wouldn't be given at work. You know, you could be at work noodling along and doing whatever your job description says, and then waiting a year or two years or three years until somebody you know uh, deems that you're ready for a promotion, and now you get to be a supervisor, or now you get to be a manager or an executive, whatever it is. But for a volunteer organization. You can jump into a project that would be years ahead of your what your workplace might think you're capable of. You might even join a board of directors like I did at the Junior Chamber and talking about rules, Robert's rules and learning how to run meetings and learning how to write plans and uh, executive summaries and strategies. That's my strong advice. The second piece would be to assume that you can live your dream. You know, I teach vision writing. I, I usually run retreats uh, yearly and take people away for a couple of days and encourage them to write their vision. What that enables you to do is to then live from that vision, right? Instead, most of us live from our, our limiting beliefs of our past. Like, you know, I was born and, you know, I was Latino. I remember my grandma, 
uh, told me one time I was watching this old school TV show called the Beverly Hillbillies. And I said, Grandma, I want to have I want to have that. I don't remember what I was talking about, but something that rich folks had. Right. And she said in, in Spanish to me, because the most bonus, she said, we're the poor people and not our lot in life to have that. And, um, you know, she was trying to clue me in to, you know, this is how it is, kid. You know, the rich people have that. And that's not us. And today I would call that a scarcity mindset, a poverty mindset. And, you know, this is the one who probably loved me the most in the world, her and my mom. And uh, it took me years to, to overcome that poverty mindset. The opposite is true, though, too. If, if you intentionally choose to hang out with people who are already doing what you want to do, you know, who have already accomplished good things, then you're placing yourself in an area where you can gain energy and experience serendipity. And anybody can do that. If you have an idol, Google, do some research, find out, you know, where is that a woman or man what groups do they belong to? And then join that group. You know, where do they volunteer? And then go volunteer side by side with them. You can create your own hope. You can create your own luck. You can create your own destiny. But you need to be proactive about it. So uh, I would say that's that's good advice for anybody. Your love for the community, your love for this earth, and just hearing your vision inspires me and inspires many around you. I think that what you're embarking on, you know, kind of shifting gears here a little bit, because we touched on it at the beginning of our conversation about the event that's coming up, but Community 2.0 is working on something that is needed. And that's really the climate emergency that we're faced with here and the challenges that come along with it. And with your leadership and your involvement in the community, you know, you're really shedding some light on the urgency of this topic. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with that, shedding light on this climate emergency that we're facing here. C2O started as a dream of mine a few years back. I read a book by Pulitzer Prize winning author Tom Friedman, right? He's, uh, he wrote The World is Flat. I think that's uh, probably his most famous book. It just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I think most of us are waiting for a sign, you know, tell us what to do with our lives and like that. And this book was that sign for me. Friedman makes a point in that book that humanity is at a turning point, you know, that we've put the earth on a path to ecological disaster. And if we don't wake up and wake up in a big way and in a global way, in a few short years, you know, 10 or 20 years, the planet will be unlivable for humanity as a habitat. And there's a strong chance that people will go extinct, just like, uh, you know, next on the list is the polar bears. But the list before that is endless as to how many insects and other animals and foliage are extinct. That was just a wake up call for me. And I said, I got to do something. I quit my job and came home, told my wife, I quit my job (laughs) and said, I'm doing this. And I don't know how I'm going to do it because I didn't have a background in the environment and I didn't have a background in science or climate change. I just knew I had to do something about this. And so I did that. Luckily, I stumbled on uh, to an article. I think it came from the Horton School of Public Policy. Because I had tried to read that UN IPCC report. Oh my gosh, you know, unless you're a scientist, forget it. It's it talk about dry and, you know, unintelligible. But I read this article from the Wharton School and it said, really what we have here is a marketing challenge, right? The scientists have been telling us for 40 years that there's this thing called global warming and we've been ignoring them. And they didn't want to make the point too strong because they didn't want people to panic. So about three years ago in 2018, they finally said, okay, time to panic, right? We have 10 years before irreversible damage to the planet. And so our first job is marketing. We have to convince people and influence them that this climate emergency is for real. Uh, The second point they said is this is a culture issue, right? People need to change their lifestyles to be sustainable. Businesses need to adopt sustainable practices. 
governments need to adopt sustainable policies. So it's a culture change issue. And the third point was that this needs to be a huge collaborative change. We need businesses working with governments. We need them working with individuals and academic institutions and everybody. I think really that this is the largest, biggest opportunity that we have ever facing mankind. One of the quotes I love the most is from this guy named Danny Chivers, who wrote a book called The No-Nonsense Guide to Climate Change. He said, this is going to be the most amazing, inspiring, and unifying social movement that the world has ever seen. If we can save the planet, can you imagine? This is the whole world getting together to do these things. I just felt like, you know what? I need to be part of that. And so we're just trying to make it happen. That really blows my mind. What you just said right now, imagine if we can change the trajectory of this earth. How impactful and how amazing and how inspiring that is. And I think about the issue of climate change is so complex. Policies involved, processes are involved, the way we think about our planet. Um, there's just so many different layers. There's so many different complexities. Where would you even begin? I mean, as a leader here in this community, you're saying, look, I quit my job. This is the direction I want to go in. I want to lead this charge here in my community. Where do we even begin with doing something like that here locally and that it ultimately influences global coordination in this community of leaders looking to change the trajectory of our climate and of our earth? Every now and then somebody says something like that and that reminds me of this, you know, humongous task in front of us. And, you know, we need me and we need another million or 10 million or maybe a billion people like me to step up in their local communities and take action. And then hopefully we can coordinate that action so we have some kind of cumulative result. But that Wharton article that I just mentioned was a key for me. You know, it, it made it understandable for this non-scientific mind. Hey, it's not that hard. Wake people up, engage them and find out what they can do to help make a difference. Mobilize people en masse and, and then accelerate that change using the new tools and the, you know, the exponential tools and technologies that we have available these days. So luckily, you know, I had a background in technology so I could understand these new tools. And there's this great new book called Exponential Organizations. I'd encourage folks to read that. It's about a business model, kind of similar to what Google and Apple and Uber and Airbnb are using, right? These guys are rocking their industries and they're playing by a whole different rule book than the brick and mortar guys, right? Amazon just wiped out Borders and, and uh, Barnes and & Noble and Google's taken over everything, wiped out Yahoo and all those other search engines. And Uber and Airbnb are great examples too. Here's this taxi company that doesn't own any taxis. I mean, that's crazy. Who would have thought to start a taxi company that doesn't own any taxis? And Airbnb, the largest overnight stay provider in the world, and they don't own any hotels. They don't own any properties. So it's just a whole different way to think that goes back to the abundance thing I talked about earlier, that if you can think differently, you can change the world. You know, and you can do that on a small idea. If you have a small idea or if you have a big idea, then you can change the world in a very big way. I'm always looking and always reading and finding what can I learn from this initiative over here that I can bring to my effort? And what can I learn from that other person's example or their words of inspiration that I can bring to, to what I'm doing? And anybody can do that. You know, everybody's born with talent, but everybody's not born with skills and abilities, right? I think it was Michael Jordan, the great basketball player that said that, right? Uh, skills and abilities, they, they take work. They take practice, right? You can be born with talent and you can waste it, or you can be born with talent and you can practice it, you can hone it such that you can change the world. So I just kind of look to what I can do 
and and I know how to to recruit people. I was a you know got a national award for recruiting volunteers for the JCs, and I don't know how to run, I know how to run collaboratives because of the work I've done after that. I know how to enroll people, and because of all the growth, personal growth work I've done, I know how to transform people's lives, and I've done that repeatedly. And I do that for my own life, too. And I'm, I'm always there. I'm the first one standing up saying, okay, I need to step up here. Well, let's talk about how you stepped up. I mean, you certainly stepped up in our community coming up uh, in October and, and and mobilizing the community. Let's talk about that a little bit. What's cooking? What's cooking in October for you? The event is called the Green Economy Conference and Career Match. So uh, the tagline for Community 2.0 is thriving people creating a sustainable planet. I think we all need to up our games to save the planet. And I think the way that we need to market this to people is to hit them in their pocketbook, right? People care about about their money. They care about their jobs, their livelihood, their ability to support their families. And so here we are now talking about the positive side of the climate emergency. So there is a positive side. Al Gore, former vice president, said that the transfer from fossil fuels to renewable sources of energy is the biggest business opportunity in history, right, ever. This is a trillion-dollar opportunity, global opportunity, for businesses to step up and start selling green products or change their products that they're manufacturing to be more green, or for us to move into careers, whether it's entry-level or mid-level or executive, to an organization that cares about the environment where you can make a difference. And so that's what this uh, conference is about. Um, We'll have a keynote speaker talking about how to prosper in the green economy, then separate talks for business persons, uh, separate talks for entrepreneurs. We'll have a green tech showcase I saw some a robot hummingbirds the other day that I thought, this is so cool. How, how cool would it be if this conference, all of a sudden, we turned the lights out and these hummingbirds were flying all over the place? <laughs> and this is the state of technology these days. Those, those hummingbirds can fly in unison. They can do things together that they couldn't do individually. So we want to inspire people. We want to show them lifestyle uh, products and services like robots and tell people, hey, this is, this is not the future. This is today. You can buy these products today. You can buy a flying car today. Google that. Google flying cars. You can buy a flying car today. And then tell people, well, what do these lessons mean in your life? What did they mean that you can think differently about how you can change your life and maybe change the planet? And so we want to inspire people with this conference. Is there anything that we can do individually to support some of your efforts, whether it's with this event or your leadership in the space of climate change? In mobilizing our community, what could we do to help support you? Well, come to the event and see what resonates with you. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of things, talking about a lot of things. Uh, if you get lit up, if you get inspired about something after the event, call me or email me and say, hey, Greg, let's talk. You know, I love getting calls like that from people who are inspired to do something and then see if I can, you know, point them in the right direction or maybe they're, they want to work with us as a volunteer or something like that. There are so many projects that we're going to do as we unfold in this next year. Some of our ideas are to, um, we're creating a coalition of large organizations in town. I've already spoken to it, academic institutions uh, with different municipalities to see what we can do together that we can't do individually at the business scale. Like if you have a big physical plant at your business and I do too, we can share ideas, right? And we're already a couple of meetings into mobilizing nonprofits and community groups to influence green legislation. And uh, we're going to sign up five or 10,000 people and then take them to our elected officials and say, hey, these are your voters, right? These guys want you to vote green. Please do that and we'll support you. And then we're going to be mobilizing the public too. So if there's any project managers out there listening or people who want to learn those skills, we're going to be uh, creating plant-covered cities to combat the heat island effect. You know, our cities are covered with uh, asphalt and cement and they just soak up the heat all day long. And then at night when it's supposed to cool off, instead, these things are releasing heat. 
So we can overcome that by planting plants around the city and different municipalities in the San Gabriel Valley, Valley County. There's initiatives around the world where they want to plant a, a billion trees because trees eat carbon and greenhouse gases. So we'll be doing that. A friend of mine wants to help create community-wide composting programs. You know, it's so easy to just throw our trash and our food scraps away, but it's so easy as well to compost them and repair the soil. And the earth sequesters carbon in the soil, so it's important to do that. And then you might have heard we're also going to mobilize the public and businesses to consider alternatives to single-use plastics because, you know, uh, there are these things called gyres, which is big, huge plastic dumps in the middle of the world's oceans. And they're everywhere. And then the fish eat the plastic and then we eat the fish. And so now, you know, it's a health hazard because we're eating plastic on a regular basis. So if any of those ideas light you up, you know, please come, please talk to me, email me. And it's easy to get involved. And we have so many and we're going to be doing this on a very wide scale. So we need a lot of folks to help out. This is excellent. Thank you so much. If any listener is out there and what Greg said ignited you in any way, please do connect with them. I'm happy to stay connected, Greg. You and I can chat offline about what we can do as an institution to support some of these efforts locally. There's a lot of work to be done here, right, Greg? I mean, this is not a one and done kind of fixed thing. And so you certainly have our support and I, I look forward to chatting with you more offline about it and how we can be a better partner. That means so much to me because, you know, we have this monumental task in front of us. So you being willing to work with us, that's, that's huge. My work mostly focuses on transforming people's mindsets. Once we can do that, then turning them over to those educational institutions that can teach the hard skills. I don't do that, right? That's not my area of expertise. But if, uh, if you and I can work together with our other partners, I would love that. And if people want to register for our event, please go to our website. It's gapodaca.com. That's G-A-P-O-D-A-C-A.com. Wow, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to rock the world. <laughs> Excellent. We'll be sure to put those in the show notes. It's been wonderful, Greg. Thank you so much. We will chat soon. Thank you very much and catch you in the next episode of The Future of Work. Okay, thanks so much for having us on. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.